Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Lucy Roberts is a mama, yoga teacher, life coach, and eternal student with a dedicated yoga and meditation practice of more than 20 years. Her style is fluid, feminine, intuitive, and creative, whilst respectful of tradition and the ultimate purpose of the practice. Lucy trained and apprenticed with Australian senior teacher Louisa Sear, later spending more than a decade on the road as part of the yoga arts faculty, delivering teacher trainings internationally. She now lives in Byron Bay with her partner and daughter, teaching classes, retreats, trainings, and online courses alongside coaching. Informed by the devotional arts and attitudes of bhakti yoga, the non-dual teachings of Advaita and self-inquiry, and the beautiful Buddhist teachings of radical compassion, Lucy's work is an invitation into greater awareness and a loving curiosity of body, mind, and heart. So welcome, Lucy. So good to have you. Thanks, Amy. Nice to be here. Yeah, and I'm loving the nature sounds that I'm picking up from your end as well. (laughs) I would love for you to share with us um, a little bit of your background, if you don't mind, because I think you've been walking this path for such a long time comparative to most of us, and I would love to know how you landed here. Yeah, my childhood, I grew up in Brisbane, Queensland in Australia, and moved around quite a lot when I was young, but then Brisbane for the latter half. And, you know, a fairly conservative but kind of sweet upbringing. Um, Certainly wasn't introduced to yoga by my parents. (laughs) It was a very normal Aussie upbringing. But then, um, you know, around about uni time, I started to become interested in, I was supposed to go overseas with a friend actually, and I was going to do the standard Aussie thing, which is to go to the UK and to get a working visa and, you know, work in a pub in London like everybody does and then travel off to, you know, little trips and come back again. And I just had such a strong, it was kind of the, you know, the calling, I think, even think about the hero's journey. It was just such a strong pull that I don't want to do that. I really want to go to Asia. And there was this pull to India and Thailand, Cambodia, last any of those countries as long as, long as it was Asia. And the friend that I was supposed to go travelling with was like not one bit interested. And in hindsight, I look back and I had to make a call at that point to, I was like, I'm not willing to compromise on this. I'm going alone. Thank God my parents were crazy enough to let me go alone at that time. And looking back also, I was so unbelievably naive. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, But that was kind of the beginning of a really eye-opening journey um, in Thailand, then Nepal. And I remember landing in India actually and having this visceral sense of, oh, wow, okay, this is what I was looking for. It was like some place that I had this, like I knew it before I got there. And although I tasted Asia in those other countries, it's like this is it, but not quite, not quite, almost. And then landing in India... Although it was kind of a rough landing, it was just this sense of like, yep, okay, this is what I was looking for. And uh, that's a bit of a side journey. But I think the travelling and particularly the travelling in Asia kind of went hand in hand with the, I'd already been introduced to yoga um, while I was at uni, but then, you know, going to the birthplace of yoga and that was sort of the 
yeah, the beginning of that trajectory. And then how did you fall from there from your own personal practice as a student into teaching? Because becoming a teacher was not the same then as what it is now. No, it wasn't. In those days, yeah, I was still, you know, very young, just learning and tasting and experiencing lots of different things. And I wouldn't say I was particularly disciplined. I was, you know, early 20s. I was on the Magical Mystery Tour. I was experimenting with psychedelics and all sorts of things. I was just in that kind of opening phase of, you know, having my mind blown in a way. I feel like that was the beginning of my yoga. It wasn't anything structured or disciplined. It was kind of just having a lot of conditioning undone from witnessing and experiencing different things. And then, um, yeah, so it was very free, pretty wild years until about the age of 25, 26. And then when I was overseas, um, my mum died very suddenly. She was killed in a car accident. And so, of course, I came home and it was a little bit of a, again, looking back, it was a sense of, okay, I want to be really awake for this. I want to be present. So that was the end of all the experimental drugs and smoking and all those things it was just like okay I want to be awake I want to be aware and I want to go deeper into one thing I was sampling and tasting and experimenting with lots of things and it was like all right I want to go deeper into one and then at that time I saw I think I went to a class at Yoga Arts which is the studio that Louisa Sia um, owned and ran went to a class picked up this daggy little you know DL flyer back in the days of print material, photocopied, black and white, describing the yoga arts nine-month teacher training course. And I, as soon as I picked it up, I knew I was going to do that course. You know, you know, when you have that, I love that. There's only a few times in my life where things have been so clear. And the logistics don't really matter, the how much, the when, where, why. It's kind of by the by, you already know you're going to do this thing. And so at that time, committing to a nine-month course was huge I had not spent nine months in one place for since I'd lived with my family at home but yeah it was just that knowing okay this is the next thing and so that was probably the first step of making this you know diving more deeply into the practice committing to a, a more consistent daily practice and and then I guess the leap from from learning to teaching was just I had I had a real affinity with Louisa from the beginning there was kind of a natural curiosity she was sort of my teacher but she was always my friend she sort of became my friend fairly early on and and we had those you know she was interested in astrology and so was I we had these sort of commonalities that we would talk about and then she invited me before the course was over to take a couple of slots in the yoga art schedule you know, the worst slots always when you start teaching you get the 4 15 in the afternoon slot that nobody comes to but you take whatever you can and so yeah there was not much there was no plan for me it just unfolded it happened to me actually those early years were very much they happened to me I didn't make anything happen I had no goals whatsoever it just rolled on out you know and it's certainly the terrain of becoming a teacher is significantly different now. And um, I really admire this seemingly beautiful path that you've been on, particularly with the great blessing of being on the yoga arts faculty. And uh, for those listening, I did my level two training with yoga arts a number of years ago. Can't even remember what year that was, but um, and it was so rich 
because I find a lot of trainings are quite not quite got that uh, depth like the yoga arts trainings and you've mm-hmm. obviously essentially apprenticed with Louisa but then also been blessed to I guess uh, work and live and breathe next to Rose Bowden and and many wonderful teachers uh, could you speak to maybe how that's shaped you personally um, not just professionally but on a personal level Mm, for sure. And I also, I also think, again, in hindsight, I think I only realise, I've only realised recently how fortunate I am to have that um, very informal kind of apprenticeship. In many ways, it appears like a formal apprenticeship with Louisa because we spent so much time together for such a long time. But it was never, a, you know, a formal arrangement that we discussed or went into it was just it just happened and I just was privileged to spend all that time with her and to eat with her and to talk with her as a friend but also to learn from her not by what she said but just watching how she is in the world how she was with me as an employer you know how she was when it came to paying people or not paying people you know and 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 she never not paid people by the way (laughs) let me make that very clear you know, just and just learning from a person's integrity, not just what they're saying, and, and that's the true test, you know, of a teacher or a human being. It's not. It's kind of easy to get up on and sprout all sorts of wisdom and um, texts and quotes, but it's a whole other thing to to live it. And so I do feel, you know, so fortunate to have lived, learnt to live it alongside Louisa and also Rose. Um, Clive Sheridan also, you know, Clive and Miranda I met much more as, and I did meet Clive, yeah, more as friends initially. I think, you know, I met Clive on a dance floor, I think, dancing our butts off together and then got to see Clive in his uh, position as teacher and, you know, how powerful he is when he sits to to share. But, yeah, you know, it was such a, I mean, I look back at so much grace, you know, so much grace that, Again, I couldn't have. I remember. I remember a few people asking me, maybe students on teacher training, saying, "So, how did you become an international yoga teacher?" <laughs> and I'm then thinking, "What? I don't know how I became an international yoga teacher. Is there such a thing?" Because I never had the aspiration to be. I loved travelling and I loved yoga, and I I had hoped that the two could combine and that yoga might be something that I could do to continue traveling but I don't even think the whole term international yoga teacher even had really existed and then it became such a thing to be and to become but none of the true international traveling teachers that I got the you know had the good fortune to learn beside ever tried to be that either it just simply is what unfolded and so yeah I look back with such gratitude for you know those first the first decade or more because there was never any aspiring to be or do anything. It's, it literally just kind of rolled out. That's the grace. I wasn't trying or striving or planning anything. I'm actually envious of those years in my own life, actually. It's like, wow, that all just happens so easily. I think this current decade is much more challenging. Yeah. Certainly, and it's a huge blessing to be able to sit with you know, as you said, sit with someone like Louisa, but also to be in the very literal presence of Rose and Clive because I just see these teachers and they're very humble, they're not splashing themselves online and their knowledge is so vast and rich through direct experience, you know, over the years. And mm. I would presume that 
almost everybody listening perhaps has no idea maybe who these people are and yet <laughs> and that's a real reflection of how yoga is you know perceived and experienced in the world today which in some ways is kind of sad mm. and you know where I guess there's a real difference in understanding based on that example that you gave of that question that was proposed to you about becoming an international yoga teacher but a confusion as to what it even means to be a senior yoga teacher as well what that is based upon and how that's a very common term to sort of be thrown around um, these days at the moment so your your story and your path makes me think of how you know I think those of us born in either the 70s to the maybe mid 80s remember what it's like to have dial-up telephones and how Mm. cool it was to, to transition to a touch phone and then a phone that didn't have a cord and you know times have changed so drastically but we are blessed to kind of have a bit of perception as to what life may have been like before and I I feel like I can liken that a little bit to yoga might seem like a silly analogy no I remember when yoga alliance started and Louise has always been really great at getting you know she was one of the she was a bit of a she's quite a visionary Louisa and she's a rebel she does things her own way she totally goes from her gut she doesn't care what anyone else is doing she just she gets an intuition and she follows through she's got awesome follow through as well and so she had this idea to run this nine-month teacher training. The nine-month was akin to a gestation period, you know, it's kind of the time we spent in, tutor, in utero. She's also got a thing with the number nine. She's born on the 9th of August. So she always had the nine thing or multiples of nine. Started that, class, uh, that course and then, and she didn't need anyone's permission or approval also. She's a rebel in that way. She doesn't need certification. She gives it to herself. <laughs> and. And then she registered it with Yoga Alliance, I think, and also as a, um, a VTAB accredited course, which was the, like, um, how would we describe that to those who don't know what that means? Government approved. Yeah, it's, it's, it's akin to a TAFE course or a tertiary education course, not, not a university course, but a, what are they called in between? Like, like a, a diploma? Like a diploma, exactly. Um, so it was recognised by government as such you could get Oz study and people could get kind of student support to, to study. Yeah, so, so she was sort of the beginning of people getting Yoga Alliance accreditation. And then in order to do that, you need to go online and plug in all of the hours that you've taught or, or studied and what you've done. But it's like the people, Louisa didn't have Yoga Alliance accreditation. She didn't have any accreditation. Rose has no cert- certificate. She has no level one or level two. She's got nothing. She has the word of her guru. She has her own gut. She has the years that she spent, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in Vipassana meditation, the grace of the people she made on her path. Clive Sheridan has no certification, you know. So it's like, yeah, they, that was, I think I was there for the beginning of that change when all these things, you know, a Yoga Alliance 200 hour meant something. Whereas before that, 200 hours was absolutely nothing. What are you talking about 200 hours? And it's interesting because it, it can be seen as a very bittersweet thing. I, I, I appreciate the value in almost regulating things because of the, um, I know it's cliche to say, but the explosion of what mm-hmm. of the yoga community and so forth but yeah then it's also um in some respects a little bit disrespectful to the path and to the practice in a way to kind of box it into 
you know, putting these sort of limits and framework on it when that can be a very different experience depending on who you're sitting with, you know, who you are at the feet of. Yeah. I would love to know, though, is there a book that you can reflect upon, you know, at any point along this journey that really puts you or catapulted you deeper into this trajectory, something that stands out in your mind? That's a tough question because I'm one of those people that forgets every movie they've ever watched and every book they've ever read. When you ask me that question, I can never think of one. Um, Not necessarily yoga related. I I can't actually pick a book in that I feel like I've had so many chapters within within. The journey and there's probably a book that goes with each of those little mini chapters that was quite different from perhaps the book that I was reading before I'm always being drawn um, in different directions that are all all have the same kind of commonality and thread they're all about um, awareness consciousness healing growth evolution in some form or another but there was actually after I finished my yoga teacher training again I, I'd started teaching you know a couple of little classes a week above, the, above a health food shop in Mullumbimby with my you know little gang of students and this one guy came to class for a couple of times and then he sent me uh he probably called me on my dial-up telephone <laughs> back in those days because he'd seen a poster Oh, that's right. He hadn't come to the class yet. He saw a poster again back in the days of posters for the class. And he called to say, if he came to the class and he was in silence, would that be all right? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because at the time I also taught on a silent meditation retreat every month. He came along to the class. He wasn't in silence. He was, in fact, very chatty. But apparently he spent half the week each week in silence. And then I think he asked me, would I like a little bit of help with the business or just the way that I was thinking about the business of what I was doing? And at that time I was, I was like, actually, yes, I would. I'd love that. We went and had a chat and then he was sort of inserting these other little things into the conversation. I was like, forget the business. I want that other stuff, which it turned out he just spent quite a long time in India at the feet of a master of Advaita Vedanta and he was really into self-inquiry. And this little book, the Viveka Kudamani, which is the crest jewel of discrimination, I think. It was like a tiny little thin book, you know, printed in India. Quite a famous book, actually. But it was basically the guidebook to understanding the mind. And so I'd just done this nine-month training, and which was very physical in many ways, and I was still doing a very physical, you know, alternating between an Ashtanga practice and a very dynamic vinyasa practice. And this guy appeared out of nowhere and filled in this bit for me, which was taking it like the next layer to just really subtle understanding um, of the mind and its machinations and who we are. I think I had a really profound time with him. And there he was. He turned up in my valley. The Chinese say, like, stay in your valley. All you need will come to you. He was there in my valley. He was there for several months. He had all the time in the world. He did not need to work or make money. He just showed up and he was, if anyone was interested, it happened super organically. If there was interest, he was there 100% to share this with you. So, again, I spent hours and hours every day with this guy cooking together and he just shared with me this extraordinary knowledge um, that had been shared with him. Um, It's funny, I haven't thought about that for a really long time. But that little book, we hardly worked with books. It was mostly, uh, it was all verbal, just verbal discussion and, and inquiry and directing the mind beyond the mind. 
And that was the one little text we had. And if I look back, that little text definitely, um, it's not that it sent me in a different direction, but it totally deepened the trajectory of where I was going. And how did your, I guess, path take you, so going back to India, to Sripuram and that experience, how does that weave in? That's a whole other chapter within the big chapter as well. That was after a long time of working with Louisa and travelling and we would do our teacher training each year in Goa in India. And I'd stayed on in Goa. I'd had a tumultuous love affair for a couple of months. And then that love affair had taken me. I'd met up with that same guy in Japan and somewhere else. And it was was a really hard year actually, very kind of crazy year. At the end of that year we decided to split and I'd come back to Goa to run uh, another teacher training, but this time Ido and Joe, who are uh, um, bhakti yoga practitioners and a couple who sang kirtan together. Joe had come and done a teacher training with us halfway through that year, in earlier that year in Bali. And then Louisa invited, had invited them as a couple to come and lead kind of a bhakti yoga section of the that current Goa training. So we ended up in adjoining rooms with the big shared veranda. Um, they only taught, you know, they didn't want teaching all that much. So we all had, they had a lot of time. So I spent a whole lot of time that month just talking, 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 particularly with Ido because he's probably the more uh, verbal and uh, cerebral of the two, as, as am I. So we just talked all the time, which was beautiful considering where I was at in my life. And then at the end of that month, they were going back to South India, to Tamil Nadu, to a tiny little town called Tirumalaikodi to um, return to the feet of their Guru Sri Shakti Amma. And I, I guess I was just in one of those life phases of I don't know anything anymore again. And there was an opening and there was a hunger for something else, something new, something more. And it was such a yoga of the heart. And I'd, I'd experienced so much healing that month singing with them, singing and chanting and, you know, I really experienced how that practice can just, um, yeah, so deeply just go straight to the, to the emotional and the core of things in the heart. And so at the end of the month I jumped on a plane with them and went down to, to check things out. <laughs> Shri Purim. So where things stand right now for you, um, coming back to books, is there anything particular that you're reading at the moment that you feel is quite significant? Yeah, I tend to. I've got a few yoga books on the bedside table, but I actually I love, I love reading books that give you the essence of yoga without being a straight-up yoga text. I love yoga shared from a really human perspective or from somebody's story more than... Um, because I am quite cerebral, I really enjoy when someone just, when it isn't too cerebral and it's personal or emotional. So I've just, well, I'm still reading actually, but it's, it's one that just stays on the bedside table. Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. I hope I'm saying her surname correctly, B-R-A-C-H, Tara Brack, an American insight meditation teacher. That is, a, I mean, I so recommend that book to anyone, Radical Acceptance. And I think there's a newer one. Do you know what it's called, Amy? It might be Radical Compassion or... Anyway, um, it's, it's such a beautiful book that 
what she articulated in that book was nothing so new from what anyone else has shared before, but she just managed to bring it through in such a way that was just, oh, she just said it in a way I haven't actually heard before. And I've heard um, other friends describe it in the same way. She just speaks so much to the, the trance of unworthiness, she calls it. You know, we're in a culture that's so pervaded by I'm not good enough you know, this deep sense of lack or I'm not enough and such a wound. And she just explains that wound and, and has just such beautiful practices to, to heal that wound by basically learning to embrace and accept every single part of ourselves. You know, and she brings it in such a warm, relatable, um, kind um, in a very inspiring way. So, yeah, that's I, I can't recommend that book enough to anyone. If you can't be bothered to read, just Google her. She's got loads of great YouTube videos as well where she shares her talks. And, yeah, I really, she's great. Love her. Can you speak to uh, how you personally in daily life uh, honour tradition? So I, I have to say since becoming a mother <laughs> almost four years ago, everything changed and for about a year if not more probably more closer to two I feel like everything fell apart in so many ways like any possibility to um, continue with the same kind of consistency it just wasn't possible you know looking back I feel like that first year was there was probably a lot of anxiety that I didn't even realize at the time I had and I just didn't know how mothers actually managed to do anything else other than <laughs> look after their child you know um and I missed that terribly so when all that started to come back in again it was oh, such a relief and so sweet to be able to actually um practice more consistently again and but it's really still fluid it's fluid I feel like as a parent for me as a parent things need to be um spacious not rigid otherwise you just end up feeling guilty and like you're falling short all the time which doesn't really serve anyone just enough structure that you get your needs met, but not so much that there's a rigidity or guilt or trippiness that just doesn't really work. Um, tradition. It's a tradition for me. You know, when, I, when you read my bio, it's that thing of wanting to be kind of creative and intuitive with the practice in such a way that still honours tradition. For me, honouring tradition is never forgetting the point of all these practices, whether it's puja, whether it's asana, whether it's dance, whether it's, I mean, classical dance, whether it's whatever it is, just not forgetting the, the why because we can get so caught up in the how and the details and I certainly do. I mean, there's so much information available to us and there's so many different ways you can practice asana alone that sometimes I get caught in the right and wrong. Like, what's the right way to do this? And like there is no right way. They all work ultimately. Just don't forget why. And the why is it was, you know, the, the reason for doing all this stuff is to free ourselves and to free ourselves of overthinking it and to free ourselves of anything basically that causes us suffering or that makes us feel um, rigid or, or limited. So for me, the honouring of tradition doesn't always look very traditional but it's just keeping in my heart um, 
the remembrance of why and what the purpose is. And if I'm sticking to the tradition or to the ritual, but there's rigidity in the way that I'm thinking and feeling about it, then I have to question that. And there's been a lot of questioning in the last year as well. I'll share that. I'll be transparent and say there's been a lot of questioning and, and at times even throwing the baby out with the bath water and then quickly going to scramble and find the baby again and try and revive it. But, you know, that's how we learn, right? We stuff up and then we go, oh, of course. And then we stuff up again and we go, oh, God, what was I thinking? And then, yeah, the getting of wisdom is a messy <laughs> procedure. I know that you've mentioned and we've talked about, um, you know, your teachers and so forth, but um, I guess just honing in on that a little bit more, uh, could you speak to whom you feel would have been or is your greatest teacher or mentor along this path, um, whether that is yoga related or not? Yeah, it's a toughie because I can't, uh, it's not, it's, there's been many. And it's from, yeah, I have to say, I, I have to really mention Louisa there, I think, just because our relationship and our, our working relationship and in every form has changed so much over the years, but it's an enduring one. You know, we don't see each other for months and months and we don't talk all the time. We don't need to, but whenever we do get together again, you know, and it's not a typical teacher-student relationship. It's much more like sister or friend, but absolutely she's the big sister. And absolutely I uh, respect the wisdom that is there. Um, it's, not, it's not in what she says ever. In fact, she finds it quite difficult sometimes to articulate <laughs> certain things, but it's just in a um, way of living and being. And, of course, Rose as well. Rose is hilarious. Rose is <laughs> such fun to be around. She's nuts. And she's also a rebel. You know, there's none of this overt spirituality with either of them. There's no... And, and it's... That's what freedom is, isn't it? Freedom is the ability to be who you are and be uh, irreverent sometimes and swear if that's what you like to do and have a beer sometimes if that's what you really like to do or whatever you just own fully who you are. And I love Rose for that. She just owns who she is. You know, she's like 73 now. I think hopefully by the time we get to be 73, we will also 100% own and just stop trying to be anything other than, you know, the than what we are and so yeah I was actually coaching someone yesterday who is a new about someone who's about to start teaching she's sort of still completing her training and, and she was feeling a bit you know just the usual fear and doubt about teaching and she said one of the things that comes up is that you know I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I'm not like I'm not looking like some kind of Instagram yogi and I was like oh my god I get that I totally get that. And yet I'm suspicious of a teacher who's under 40 <laughs> because what we see is it's like there's certain wisdom and uh, insight that just is the accumulation of lots of years in a body on the earth, parenting, running businesses, all the things that we do. And um, so I have to say those two are probably my biggest influences. You know, age... <sighs> And time can be on our side, I guess, the more that we live and life in general, because if we look at yoga as not just, you know, a movement-based practice and we look at it as, as a, a way of life, 
then that wisdom comes with time and living life. And I look at someone like Rose and she's just someone who she's like this wise woman yet full of joy um, and so much richness. And then Louisa just appears to be someone who's so full of heart and yet humility. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of students of yoga and those seeking out the path of teaching very rarely get to witness teachers, you know, such as they are in all their grace and wisdom and depth. You know, it's it's quite rare and pretty treasured. I think you'd probably agree. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there's so many fantastic teachers in the world and we probably have more access to them than we ever had. And if we can't be with them in person, we can be with them um, I guess it's different than just sort of hanging out and having time after a workshop to share lunch with that person and really see how they uh, see how they function. But you know, I, th- I think probably there's so much access to so many awesome teachers and awesome knowledge in some ways than there ever was. So much so it can be even quite overwhelming. But yeah, what is a life living in alignment? look and feel like to you I think it's a constant it's an open-ended it's absolutely an open-ended sentence in that it's it's like the analogy of balance I used to think that one day I'm going to be balanced (laughs) that's when I was doing my training one day I'm going to be balanced and then I observed my foot in a standing balance one day, you know, standing on one foot and that foot was sort of jiggling and responding, you know, the toes are wriggling and you go too much one way and the toes grip and bring you back the other way. And it was this beautiful analogy of balance as a dynamic state of response. It's a constant moment-to-moment adaptation to change. And so living in alignment um, for me is being uh, responsive and able to change as things change, as seasons change, as relationships change, as um, my needs as a, as a woman change, as my family changes, as everything changes. Um, I probably the biggest, in order to live in alignment for me, I need to have solitude and space as much as possible. And that's a rare treat since becoming a mother, I'm sure you'll understand. But the only way um, I can sustain any kind of alignment is if I have time to check in with myself, see what's what. I don't know whether or not you would remember this, and I wouldn't expect you to, but when I was on uh, the Level 2 training with you and Louisa and Rose, um, I had a couple of really significant pivotal experiences, both of which you are connected to. We have some kind of karma, I think. but. Mm we were doing five rhythms and I just had this, it's a long story, we won't need to go into it, but this, I guess, very emotionally charged meltdown, uh, uh, some uh, deeply unresolved stuff. Again, long story. But, uh, and then I remember as well, I had a lot of lumbar pain and you made me just stop my practice entirely, put me into a supportive back bend to really open up that thoracic region. And I started crying and you came over me in Shavasana and, Anyway, so these couple of things happened and then as well on that um, training was when through our conversation in processing what had come up for me, uh, you introduced me to the work of Kalina Shakti, who's now one of my teachers through ODC Dance and for which I have you to thank because I literally had never known about ODC, let alone her work. And that certainly 
pivoted my path in a major way. Uh, so I, I share all of this because to give some context around, I would love to know how you have now moved probably very naturally into coaching because through those experiences, I can see that as a natural unfolding and unraveling of your path. Coaching's a new thing. I absolutely hate the word. If you can come up with a better term, I'm really struggling to find a term that, that feels right, that isn't confusing. You know, coaching, at least it's fairly straightforward what happens. Um, I did a training with Martha Beck, who's a completely crazy, eccentric, but fascinating woman and with her team. And I think it wasn't last year, but the year before. And part of the certification process with that training is doing 75 hours um, practice. So I'm actually still in, I'm still learning. Let me, let me step backtrack a little bit. I did the coach training at a time when I had like five minutes there a week, it feels like, in hindsight, you know, still full-time mothering. Um, started to practice and then kind of stopped. I'm not, I can't really even remember why. Oh, that's right. It kind of started to move into the tools, started to move more into just the stuff that I deliver on retreats and in my, on some of my online courses, but I wasn't really doing so much one-to-one -one stuff. And I'm just picking it up again as a one-to-one -one thing. And I have to say, I feel like the biggest beginner again. I'm, I love it to pieces and it's incredibly hard. So it's really nice to hear what you're saying because I'm in that place now with coaching. And maybe a lot of people feel like they're in when they've just done their teacher training and they're just starting to teach classes and they're like, oh, my God, I love this. I can just smell its potential. But, oh, my God, it's so hard. <laughs> and I'm a bit crap and I'm still trying to work out how to do it. That's how I feel at the moment with one-to-one -one coaching. There are, like, incredible um, sessions that happen and there are still many that I'm like, oh, 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 you know, just I'm really in a steep learning curve. A dizzy dance, exactly the same. It's this awesomely steep learning curve, particularly in the beginning that's um, confronting and challenging, but you want to carry on. So that's, you know, again, full transparency. That's a little bit where I'm at with coaching. Yeah. And yet, yet my experience with you is just like you were so connected. You could really see, like you had this real great sense of sight foresight even you know into what was needed in that moment and mm. how you could bring yourself to support and it wasn't necessarily through your words but through your actions and your your presence so it's certainly a natural I think at least in my direct experience with you a natural progression um, and perhaps you know weaving in that element of you as a yoga teacher that will naturally bring out that I'm trying not to say the word coach <laughs> That's okay, you can say it. It makes it easier. No, I mean, I love it. And the, the reason I did the training is because I was really longing to be able to go deeper. I was feeling limited what I could do within. Teacher trainings were different because we had asana classes and we had all sorts of different classes, but there was such a journey that we went on as a group. And we would have the formal teaching class, you know, teaching hours, but then we'd all share breakfast together and we'd get to talk and you could, people would have a chance to tell you about what might be going on personally. And it was such an enriched, such a satisfying experience because there was so much time um, through all the different modalities that were shared. But, you know, you started with this group on day one and 30 days later you finished with this group and it's just that group and it's contained and, you know, when I stopped working on the teacher trainings, I really missed that possibility to go deeper and just teaching, even teaching retreats. It's only, you know, a couple of days or you know, a week at the most. 
there still is that potential in retreats, but shorter retreats, workshops and things. I was kind of hungry to be able to go deeper and I felt like I wanted more tools and more skills, which is what led me to do um, a formal coach training. But where I'm at now, I think, is, and why I probably put it down for a little bit, is I think I was getting lost in these new tools. And in just putting it down for a little bit, what I realised is I want to use some of the tools that I, I received through the training, but actually the yoga tools is kind of, that's sort of it. Like that's, I already had those tools. And so it's how to integrate the two and find my own voice with it. I think for a little while I was trying to do what I learned and it, you know, it just didn't feel quite right. And so I put it down for a little bit as you often do with those things and then you pick it up and it's like, okay, how can I make this mine? How can I use my own language? How can I... Um, integrate the tools that I actually use on a daily basis to navigate my own mind and body and heart and life and how to share those because that's what you know I think when you're authentic with what you're doing it it's powerful and when you're trying to rattle off what someone said to you or what sounded good or something that you read it kind of falls short right we do it sometimes but it kind of falls flat (laughs) but coaching in some respects is really like holding space to be a guide for somebody, which is really very much the same as what it is to be a yoga teacher in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. To, just to guide people into a, a deeper experience of the self and you're just facilitating that. I would love to ask you a couple of little random questions, if that's okay. Yeah. What is your favourite sound? My favourite sound, there are many, but I have to say the sounds are like early morning before like pre-dawn, usually when I um, sit and when I'm quiet and still and there's just those sounds of the world waking up, yeah, distant, distant and close by. I think in any country, at any time, those sounds are just my favourite sounds. Yeah, it's like the sound of tranquility. Yeah, I mean, it's so silent yet it's so loud. There's so much going on in that silence that it's, yeah, beautiful. It's even, I think, that that quality is even more treasured in India because obviously India is such a loud, (laughs) wild place. But if you're up really early in the morning, like you might just hear the bells of a temple or something in the distance, but there's something just so magical. Yeah, and some really distorted chanting on a megaphone. Yeah, it's. I love the India pre-dawn sound. It's loud. It's a cacophony. But, mm. yeah, just so alive. I mean, India is so alive at 4 o'clock in the morning. You know, there's a lot going on at 4 o'clock in the morning in India. <laughs> Even in a small village, there's, like, there's life. Life doesn't, life never rests in that country. Yeah. yeah. And what about, what is your favourite place? My favourite place? I have to say uh, the temples of Sripuram, Tirumalakoti, even though, even though my, um, I go in and out in my intensity of devotion to that particular path. When I am in that place, it's like, and the, and the sounds and the smells of that place, there's a quality of energy in that place, which I have never experienced anywhere else. And it's, um, it totally goes beyond mind. You know, I can be hating it in my mind, but when I drop out of the mind and just drop into that, it's um yeah it's kind of transcendental I would say. Mm. It's almost like coming home. Yeah, it's a visceral sense of um, 
shakti of love of again peace extraordinary peace even though that place is hectic again there's so much going on there's pujas everywhere and bells ring and chanting and distorted microphones and cows and elephants and kids and people but it can be such um, extraordinary peace within within all of that activity what's your daily non-negotiable uh quiet time just time solitude solitude not always a whole lot but just solitude just just time to stop and feel and check in with me which usually happens through meditation and what's your absolute favorite go-to meal or food probably good old rice and dal (laughs) or rice and something you know rice and veg something that's you know yeah i get sick of making dal but i don't really get sick of eating it yeah I don't want to eat it day after day, but it's just, you know, it's such a nourishing go-to. It always um, ticks all the boxes. I was expecting either either dal or dosa. <laughs> dosa, no, dosa, because I don't make dosa. So I, I love yeah. it, but I don't make it, so I don't, haven't eaten it for ages, actually. Love it, but I don't get to eat it much anymore, sadly. Yeah. And what are you curious about right now? It doesn't even have to be professionally related. It could be totally off the radar. I'm curious about, you know, the, the, the latest book I read is called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It's a bit of a bestseller at the moment. Um, and it's very much about her journey of really freeing herself as a woman, as a mother of three and kind of breaking free of, structure you know traditional family structure in order to create quite a unique family structure she's married to a woman her husband is still you know they're all great friends the kids are awesome it's all um it was a huge breaking down that happened to come back together and reform this new unit which doesn't look traditional in any way but i guess what she wanted to model her kids is not to stay in something that wasn't working for her so as not to hurt them and model to them a relationship that she would never want for them, but to do something, you know, which would have taken extreme bravery and courage on her part. She's taking a huge risk to kind of break it down and really follow this strong, 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 um, the inner driver to follow love and to trust that in modeling what it looked to be a fully awake and alive woman, that was the best thing that she could ever do for her kids, even if it hurt them in the short term. And so it also explores this whole notion of, you know, that our generation really we got the wrong memo in terms of parenting. We, we feel like our job is to protect our children from ever experiencing pain or discomfort or boredom or, and as a result we're breeding a really wishy-washy generation of kids. and. Uh, really great to see that and I think actually with this whole corona lockdown right now we we can't protect our kids fully from the world and they're going to experience some challenge right now with not being able to go to a playground not being able to have play dates I see that my daughter she's doing pretty well but there's some days that I see she's really missing her buddies and she's missing certain things and that's okay I need to let her feel this and be there for her but not rescue her not tell her everything's all right and just acknowledge that yeah it's hard and that's that's how life is and we from this we find something new like 
we get bored and then we find something to, to fill the boredom and that's kind of the birth of creativity. So, yeah. Building resilience. Building resilience and, mm, yeah. And I know, as you mentioned, we are living in very, well, almost unpredictable times right now, one day at a time. Uh, so in light of this, is there anything you would like to share with the listener as to what you may have coming up or how they can work with you? Yeah, this has inspired me to, to get some stuff online, which I wanted to do for the longest of times. And um, I'm, I'm doing it slowly. I'm not doing it in a panicked way in response to what's going on, but it's definitely what I'm working on right now, getting some more online courses, happening into some online content and maybe some online classes. And then weaving into that some group work, but also some one-to-one coaching. And I'm working on a, a longer course right now where there's some personal contact and group contact and then content that you do on your own so that yeah, it has the capacity to take you a little bit deeper into changing something in your life or in yourself that you've wanted to change and giving you some support to do that. Yeah, and I'm also working on a new website, which I'll, I'll need in order to um, host that new content. And there's no guarantees of how long it's going to take. But, yeah, I'm assuming the, the website will be the same as it was, the name, com. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if, you, if anyone's in Byron Bay listening to this or you're passing through Byron Bay, once yoga studios are up and running, I'm assuming that you'll be back teaching in-person classes as well. That's right. Uh, assuming that all happens again in future, yeah, I teach at Bamboo Yoga in Byron Bay, which is a really gorgeous little um, semi-open air um, sanctuary, really special place. And Body Mind Life, which is based in Sydney, is opening a new studio in Byron, which is due to open in like a month ago. Um, so I'm on the schedule to teach three classes a week there when it should happen. Great. And where is the best place to send people? So maybe give us your website or social media. Website, lucyrobertsyoga.com. My Instagram is the same. Instagram is probably where I'm posting most frequently and it's, again, Lucy Roberts Yoga. Facebook page, Lucy Roberts Yoga. Just Google Lucy Roberts Yoga and something <laughs> should show up. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been such thank a you. great pleasure to have you and to to see you and chat with you after so long. So long, been so nice. Thanks, Amy. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.